they are not so much parading as skulking down the road to Harris Raker. Of course, they don't stop by the beyond. That would be improper. Maybe I'm doing that night a disservice. Maybe she had no choice. They've picked up a few friends or prisoners. They've traded one greenbark for another, traded up a size, and for the fairer sex. Though, let no one tell you I called that brute fair. It's her, the one that got away, the one that dodged the noose by preparing a dozen others. That changes things. That changes everything. I've cared for these inhuman snotlings long enough. The big game is here, and I need to make room in my menagerie. Enjoy your last supper. Tomorrow, I'll have fewer mouths to feed. Welcome to the Crooked Thimble, where like minds meet. Today we continue our adventures in Iron Immortals, the shared setting between this tabletop game, the video game and development of the Crooked Thimble, and my latest novel, Seven Days a Servant, which is currently available for pre-order on Inkshares. This game is being conducted using a hacked version of the Dungeon World system by Sage Latora and Adam Kobol. We left our heroes just after they recovered the artifact deep within Fall Fallow Glade. They've negotiated a truce with the party led by Sir Anza, and have agreed to bring the artifact to Baron Nyland at her fortress of Harris Reka. Before we get to that, though, we need to introduce everyone. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Iron Immortals, a Crooked Thimble production. Uh, we are in our third full adventure. Uh, the heroes have subdued the mysteries of the Foulfollow Glade Temple, but they still find themselves deep inside of the depths. Our heroes this week are Isold Heisenberg, a professor from the University to the South who finds themselves strangely bound up with this group. Isold is played by Robert Poteet, or Bob Poteet, depending on how you're feeling today. Bob, where can people find you online? Oh, I, I don't have much of an online presence. Uh, um, sorry to say. Hard to say. If you search deep, you may find the wisdom. We have Impediment Reed, a reformed criminal who has fallen in with this gang and their mysterious benefactor. Impediment Reed is played by Brianna Dempsey. Brianna, where can people find you online? Hi, I'm a few places online. Mostly I'm lurking on Facebook, uh, but I also do web admin stuff at the Crooked Thimble, and uh, I'm Brianna and Dempsey on Twitter. Finally we, have, finally, we have Kaya Wellsmythe. She is a friend to the Order of Wood, an aspiring knight, maybe, an intellectual, certainly a ranger, also, definitely, she has a friend named Angus, who is a murderous bark cat who hasn't killed anyone yet. Hannah, where can people find you online? You can find me at Cindersella, that's Cinderella with an S, on Twitter. Uh, and I also lurk on Facebook, but don't look for me there. So right now you guys are inside of the back room of the Temple of Fallfollow Glade, and I still haven't introduced myself. Hi everybody, I'm Trick Dempsey. You can find me at Trick Dempsey on Twitter. Also, I work on the Crooked Thimble. And we're back. 
You guys are actually still in that back room slash shrine at the very base of the Temple of Fallfallow Glade. Sir Arvo, Brother Anza are both back there with you, and they have agreed to go to Harris Reka with you in order to return this Iron Immortal head. Now, Izzled failed a roll in the most interesting way. And when they gathered their unseen servant, their unseen servant was possessed by the shadow ghost that you encountered earlier inside of Foulfellow Glade. There's no way this could go wrong. There's no no way this could go wrong. At present, it seems to be doing as you direct. It's carrying the head. If you want to test that a bit, I'm just going to tell you that it still directs as you're used to directing it. Generally, the Unseen Servant simply generally follows you around and can be told to go and carry things to places. I think that's the list of its effects inside the spellbook. You have left Barker a few rooms earlier inside of this adventure, but I'm going to tell you outright right now, if you guys just said, we want to get out to Harris Reka without doing anything else weird, I'm going to take you right out of this temple. Oh. I'm not going to make you try to, like, scramble up the wall that was difficult to get up because it was haunted earlier. That's all. That's not fun or interesting. Does anybody want to deal with any unfinished business inside of this temple? The only sort of real major piece that comes to mind is you guys have never looked at the puzzle in the room that was solved by Brother Arvo and Barker. And you have not done anything with the heartless sapling that is sort of resting an egg inside of a pool of iron water. Well, I I recall that um, I didn't, my character didn't go into the other puzzle room either and didn't see the brass hammers that, uh, um, it's true that Reed, that Reed saw. That's true. You haven't actually, you have had quite possibly the most limited experience of the, of the dungeon itself. Hmm. Well, I don't want to try leaping across that chasm um, to get to the other puzzle room. So I think I'll look at... I mean, I could probably toss you pretty safely. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, I would also (laughs) say that right now, since you guys aren't presently in threat or danger, uh, you don't make rolls when you're not in danger. That's just not a thing. Right. So some things may occur when you uh, go up to to the top room. Fair warning. But uh, if you want to skip to the top room, like, that's great. Does anybody have any business sort of in the late temple? We pocketed some samples of that weird silvery dust rock stuff, right? Yes, you took the ones that had been uh, the the ghost-touched rock, uh, the ones that had been stained darker. Awesome. Yes, I have a broken statue sample. Yes. Awesome. In my inventory. Uh, If you want to put the words ghost-touched on that, you totally can. Oh, goody. Sure. I mean, why would I even say that? It's not like this is going to be on the test. What was Brother Arvo going on about? Ghosts aren't real. Uh, Brother Arvo is deeply concerned about the uh, possibility of there being ghosts. <laughs> he's really upset about this, but he's trying to hold it together. Uh, if you want to talk to him about that, he is he's still here, and you guys have like 10 minutes of sort of scrambling through the dark ahead of you before reaching the top room. Oh yeah, Shimshackle, totally gone. Yeah, Splitsville. Good on him. Bye. No eyes, Shimshackle. As you guys approach the top room, the room that actually is exposed to the outside world, both by the holes in the roof and by the the ramp that gets to the exit, something significant has changed, not in the room, but rather outside of it. Oh. 
When the heartless sapling started resting that egg, it went quiet. It no longer emanated that brass trumpet sound of the the forest. Instead, it fell silent and the forest started to sing and you could hear that brass sound from outside. Impediment. You hear a second trumpeting out in the woods. All of you hear it, but Impediment recognizes it. Oh. Impediment knows the sound that she hears when the Greenbark kids get hurt inside of the forest. And the forest gets quiet afterward. That second instrument has arrived, and it is outside, and it is making its noise. Uh, oh, that's probably not good. I don't think I've ever heard it that close before, have I? You are not used to hearing it be particularly close. Okay. I mean, it's certainly one of those things of, it's difficult to tell distance inside of the woods. Yeah. Um, But yes, it does seem... Louder. It could just be the effect, yeah, it's possible that it's in the glade. Okay. Which would carry better than normal because the glade is a clear. Clear, yeah. Um, Well, that's exciting. I'm gonna maybe keep an eye on our injured knight. Sir Arvo has, when you pay attention to Sir Arvo, she has that bracer that she was wearing, the injured one, the the, the damaged one that was over the injury. That's just strapped to her belt now, because yeah. she's not wearing it. Yeah. Uh, and you see that the sap on her arm is still running, but you swear that it's slowed down, but you couldn't, you can't be sure. Okay. That's uh, Sir Anza? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Wow, I've sure memorized their names. How did you get that strange wound on your arm well you see i don't i don't remember anything like it until i got hit with that arrow i mean i was bleeding when i came down here but i thought it was blood i was terrified when it wasn't just blood i've been cut Hmm. before it comes in the business i've i've not seen this oh so this is new this is new and if you wanna and she's remember that she's got that like as i described it the the football stitches up her arm where the where the wound used to be, the four-inch cut on her arm, and there are the four yeah. points next to it that are oozing. She can poke them. And she's like, this doesn't hurt when I do this. But then she puts a finger over two of these little holes, mm-hmm. and the other two start to flow faster. Well, that's not... That's... Mm, that's gross. Yeah, it's not great. I'd really like to get out of the woods today. Mm. Izzled will discreetly check where she was stabbed in the chest by sap spiders. Oh, yeah, do that nice and discreet. Okay, now I need to know about your robe. Is your robe one of those ones that opens in the front and parts in some way? Like it was a big jacket? Is it like the double-breasted, almost double-breasted robe that are in, like, Chinese philosophers where it goes over to one side and comes down? Or is it like a judge's robe where this is something you're going to have to pull up? Uh, I think I'm going to go with the Chinese philosopher one. That sounds pretty cool. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. That looks, that, yeah. I have an Got easier my... time picturing your flair now. <laughs> um, you still have those. They're they're just literally burns from where the, the sap spiders touched you. In fact, this robe is basically ruined. It's got these sort of dripping acid burns onto it. And you have some significant skin inflammation and some serious bruising, but not wounds. Like that. And certainly nothing oozing. Let me ask you this, Reed. Yeah. Are you still injured? Am I still? Yeah, I am totally still injured. I am I am in a shit way, actually. Yeah, because you're like, you fell down, twisted your ankle, and I would describe the, like... Yeah, my ankles 
are awful, and those spiders got me pretty friggin' good. Reed, can I fix your leg for you? That would be nice. We might be about to need to do a lot of running. Right, I figured. Uh, that, those, I don't know if that's a good sound or a bad sound. The forest is, I think the forest is really angry with us guys. Reed, you have hit point damage and the shaken debility? Yes. Right, a healing potion can remove a debility, so... If so, I don't think it heals damage. Right, you have to pick one or the other. Do debilities go away uh, from rest, though? They go away from rest in town. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Something passes by the door, a large lumbering shadow, and you think you hear breathing like a horse puffing. Mmm, that's the Not sound. Not that you know what a horse is. A large animal. Yeah, like a croxibore huffing. So what are you going to do? Well, it's up to you, Reed, uh, how you want me to proceed with your treatment. Let's mend the wounds for the hit points. I think I can tough it through the shaky ankles. So we covered what this looks like before. He gives you a little nip of it, like, because it's got a heavy alcohol base, and then he kind of mixes it with any open wounds that you've got. Um, Those would be the sap spider burns, mostly. Yeah, sap spider burns, and, like, you've got, like, you fell. Yeah. And so you've got, like, your palms are fucked up, your knees are, are, have been banged up and are bleeding. Like, he's got a lot of ground to cover. (laughs) I I would, I would, I would ask you kindly to stop misgendering the professor, uh, (laughs) trick. (laughs) Oh, damn it. That's right. Sorry. Isold Heisenberg. Isold. I've been so good with this, too. Sudden gendering. These things happen. Gender is hard. Very fluid in this setting. Very fluid. Everyone's everyone's non-binary. I love it. So your ten hit points get healed. Read. Rad. While they're doing this... Actually, I would like to say that while uh, Isold is patching me up, um, I am gonna mention to her uh, some of my history with uh, both those wounds that Sir Anza has and the moaning the forest is making. And express my uncertainty of so i've always thought that those wounds are a they're they're an omen that you've committed a taboo against the forest and it's angry at you and unless something else in the forest vouches for you you're kind of fucked sir ansa says what do you mean by vouch i mean it's the forest's alive it you can offend it it's like a person or people or more and stranger i i don't i don't understand it but gran always said don't anger the forest or it will you hear that sound come from outside again and uh sir Anza says is that it vouching or is that it not vouching i don't know are we hearing two different forest sounds you're hearing a forest sound and you're hearing the the Periodic barking outside. This this voucher, this this third entity, I guess, essentially in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine sounding kind of like the raptors from Jurassic Park when they're doing their call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just don't want to do that in here because it's super loud and I'm not yeah. great at it. That's fine. Kaya, you have a bit of time to do with this. Uh, Brother Arvo is Brother Arvo and Barker are just sort of patrolling the room and Arvo is giving some attention to the healing process that's going on because 
he kind of cares because the, the healing potions from the university are a little different from the ones that are concocted up here. Uh, but you have a bit of free reign to take sort of an action in this room if you wish. I think I would probably just walk over a tree creature is and just look. Give it a nice, a nice deep examine to the floating tree creature and the iron water. So you get to answer... You get to answer me a question about your character's background now. Yes, I think I was about to, actually. I don't know how deep you've gone into the woods in the other journeys. We've never talked about the other jobs that you've done for the mysterious benefactor other than that they've never been this dangerous. They've never required you to maybe spend a night in the woods or intercept another enemy group. Saplings are something you've heard of. They're called that because they're the smaller of the walking horrible tree monsters that exist in this world. Have you encountered one personally before? Have you only seen them at a distance? Have you never seen them? Lots of people who go into the woods never know that they've seen them. Yes, I have, in fact, seen them before. Have you fought one? No, I have never fought one. The closest I came was seeing one about maybe 10, 15 feet away, and I looked at it, and it looked at me, and we kind of gave each other a once-over and then decided it wasn't worth our while. Here's what you know about them. This one's very strange because it's a stump with six wooden legs and two crab-like bark arms. Normally they are the trunk of an oak or a willow tree uh, with a, with a you know, a big canopy on top, almost, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet across sometimes um, because they're, they're big old trees. But just above where this one is cut off, normally there's an image of a person. Oftentimes these will be like people will talk about wood nymphs because it will be like almost like a sculpted image of a beautiful woman from the front or a beautiful man from the front. And they've always got their their arms crossed or in some sort of other almost ritualized position. But there's a split right down the middle of them that opens like a mouth and inside is the mouth of a frog. It's got a long tongue. It grabs people. It drags them away and they never, ever come back. This one doesn't have that whole top part. And you've definitely never even heard of something walking around like this. If you did that with an axe to a sapling out in the woods somehow, you know, you brought 20 men and they were all really tough and they decided to tear this thing down, it would be dead when it was in that state. But here's this one, and it's it's almost breathing. It's like walking across a sleeping cat or a, a goose resting eggs. It doesn't have eyes to track you. It can't really be paying attention. It, we, we mentioned it having sort of eye stalks. It has roots that just sort of float around, they're not being used for its legs, and they're not being used to put together its claws. This one has those, but they're not, they're, they're down, they're not paying any kind of attention. This is like a restful and harmless, horrible, magical beast. Hmm. And it's therefore quite fascinating. Yes. And sad. I'm going to, I don't want to touch it, but I want to look at it from all the angles. And I might see what happens there's there's some rubble and loose things. I might see what happens when I get like a a loose, completely dead stick and, and make the water ripple from a safe distance. When you do that, those, we described them as eye stalks earlier, those loose roots, they reach out like you've seen roaches and ants respond and they look at the ripple and they, they sort of hover above the water like the tips of them hover above the water where, where it's rippling. But it clearly thinks that this isn't any danger and they just go back to rest again. And you can hear ever so softly. 
You can see that the water isn't perfectly still because deep beneath that thing is that beating black bound heart. What is, how is it bound? Uh, those cords that you, uh, that were severed inside of this room. So they're maybe whip thickness, black tar cords are wrapped around it. Like, uh, like there are two of them that are just wrapped as bands around two different axes on it. I have a deep desire to remove the bonds, but my recollection is that it, wait, was this a deep pool or a shallow pool? It's about 10 feet deep. So the, the thing is, is sort of like spread across the entrance of it. You could still fit because it's a 10 foot hole and it's pretty wide. Uh, but it's, it's about 10 feet deep to the bottom. And it's not like a, a solid drop pit. It's like a bowl. So it's, it's deeper in the center and it's, it's shallower at the edge. Well, I don't want to get in the iron water. That's stupid. It's, um. <laughs> it is safe to touch. It just has some very remarkable properties. You also know you can't swim in it. Living things that go into the iron water fall to the bottom. Right. Okay. In, in theory, you could walk. You would just need to be holding your breath, and you might experience some side effects. What kind of side effects? You're not sure. People report all sorts of things from being immersed in iron water. I can start spouting lore on iron water, I bet. You, you wanna, sure can. Yeah. Yeah. establish some things. Let's see how that goes. Yeah, that'd be good. I'm guessing that before I was chattering to Reed about how, Reed, you know so many things about the forest. You know, I always respect your knowledge, and and if there's anything, anything helpful you can tell me about the forest, or really anything, you should. I'm here for you, Reed. Uh, I'm always willing to listen. Uh, what? I mean, I don't Hold nothing really back. know what. I I just listened to Gran. Like, there's nothing special she... about what I know. Is your Gran still still around? I would I would love to do. Oh, an oh she's with not her. my Gran. She's just Gran. Oh, all right. If she's still around, I would love to do uh, an interview with her and possibly add that to my ethnographic studies. Um, but yeah, iron water. <laughs> I can spout about iron water. <laughs> Isold, I would like to thank you for playing to your bond. Yay! <laughs> I'd like to remind everyone to do the same. Yeah, let's see. Uh, spout some lore about Iron Water. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw a book on on this on this bad boy. Okay, so eleven on the dice plus two int is twelve. No, thirteen. Uh, so you get something uh, interesting and useful about a subject relevant to your situation. Okay, so I mentioned that she'll be able to go in and if she held her breath and she walked, she would pass through it as though the fluid weren't there. You remember that people have talked about attempts to go deeper in. Normally people encounter wells of this stuff and the wells are of unknown depth. And if you get to a certain depth inside of the well, you are brutally eaten by these bright red lights that just consume living things that fall down their hole. Those, if you pour a pool of iron water, which people have done in the past, that doesn't just magically happen. This is just a pool that happens to be made of iron water. She will also need to keep her eyes closed because it appears to react to the water in the eyes. People who have been most successful going into iron water for any kind of short stint find themselves best to essentially cover every orifice they can, cover up their ears, cover up their nose, and, and essentially, you know, with glued on leather, if at all possible, something to keep the water from getting in, because it 
seems that any sensory organ that touches them can have secondary hallucinatory side effects, itching and burning, all sorts of sort of contact problems. On the plus side, it doesn't come up with you. It has a high like viscosity, essentially. So if somebody runs, if somebody makes a very quick trip, it's not that they come out drenched in the stuff. Um, hmm. It's just that she would... The danger there is is that if she wants to manipulate or investigate something with her hands, she would have a lot of trouble doing so. Right. Now, mind you, a second trip here with the right equipment that you got in town, you could probably make a phenomenally close investigation of that whole thing. Well. Of the heart bound at the, the bottom. Yeah. yeah. Kaya is, is going to theorize to herself, kind of musing out loud, that perhaps it would be good to aid this forest creature, since it looks like we're going to be spending time in the forest that we perhaps would need the goodwill of the forest in that unbinding this heart would be a good thing. Or at least putting it out of its misery. Mm. One or the other. One or the other. She's going to ask Impediment, Reed, um, do you think that I could fashion a diving helmet type? A what? A thing to help me keep the iron water out if I was to attempt to retrieve that heart. Maybe with my sack. Not the adventuring gear, but the thing that holds it. If I empty out the adventuring gear. But then you couldn't see. Well, but seeing in the... Isol just told us that seeing in the iron water Why is a bad idea. Why not just get idea. a really long cord with a hook on the end and fish it out? If it's a heart, I don't know that I want to hook it, but that's not a bad idea. What about a net? Yeah. Or a sack on a stick? Okay, let me get this straight, guys. You're <laughs> proposing a plan in which you take, for example, impediment reeds poleaxe. Oh, no. <laughs> and affix to, the, to one end of it, I don't care which, a adventuring gear bag and attempt to pick out... <laughs> A slightly larger than a human head, or maybe human head-sized heart. Oh, God. Out from the base of this pool. <laughs> Is that I mean, the plan I'm hearing? Yes. I think I want to put weights on half on the bottom half of the opening of the sack so that so that it stays open. Isold, what what do you have to contribute here? <laughs> yes, please. I, I, I was going to point out that you know. Well, I well, some of these these strategies do seem nearly feasible. We probably would be better off getting more specialized equipment uh, to go about this. Because uh, at the university, we do we do have experiments running, diving equipment for for iron water um, expeditions. We could possibly fashion something a little more yeah. robust than a sack over the head. This is probably true. I guess I was just <laughs> thinking that it might be useful to have the, the 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 benevolence of the forest, you know, now. wasn't really doing this for anything other than the goodwill of the forest, so don't really see a need to re-enter the forest. It's worth mentioning now. The forest trumpet sound has ceased. And now it's just the sound outside? And all your, you're not hearing it trumpeting outside anymore. You're just hearing it... Stepping in large, heavy circles 
around the temple. It seems to be further away, but it still seems to be within the glade. It's not like as it was earlier, walking to the door or or pawing and barking at the at the holes in the ceiling. Instead, it's just walking in circles outside. You can hear it. Question. Is the uh, rope that Kaya used to shimmy down one of the ceiling holes still in place? Absolutely. I'm going to shimmy up that and take a peek out. Impediment. You climb out. You just, you're just peeking out like a, like a character in a comedy. Your head just kind of pokes up a bit. And you can look out at it and you see what it is. It looks almost like a tegu. You know, the lizard. Except oh. for instead of being the size that you're used to seeing of domesticated tegu, where they're about to give an Earth equivalent ranging somewhere between a Great Dane and a St. Bernard, this one is about the size of maybe a croxibore. And mounted over its head is a carved wooden mask with a few wooden frills coming off of it, giving you this impression that this tegu is wearing like the wooden mask of, of a of a great cat with a big mane. That You can hear it clattering some, and it's worth noting that its eyes are covered by this mask. It definitely cannot see out. Well, that's not anything I've ever seen before, is it? It stares at you, locking what would be the front of its face. You know the tegu's eyes are on the sides of their head, mostly. So that's not looking as a tegu would look at you one side and then the other. It looks at you, it barks into the air once, and it turns and runs into the forest. I'm gonna slowly slide back down that rope and kind of sigh out a quiet curse and say, I think that was vouching, not coming to claim you, maybe, to Saranza. I think we can go, and I think we should go fast. Saranza's wound is no longer seeping. That's what I was waiting for. Kaya decides to forego her uh, underwater excursion for the moment. You did it, Reed. You scared it off. How did you do that? I didn't do anything. It just... I think it might have been scaring off other things. Which is why we should go. Yeah. But the brass hammers and the... Oh, right, fine. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) Hey, everybody. I've pulled you over to the world map. Is there... Is there an overworld theme? Imagine that the overworld thing, it's its just the Morrowind theme. Oh, okay. Everybody in their party happily follows you because they're all a little freaked out. Even Barker, who kind of leaves that, I'm invincible, but I'm also the person who took the most damage by far in this incursion. I don't know. I think he and I can have a contest for that. Yeah, you totally could. But he's not doing great. Yeah, I only got one healing potion left, by the way, so uh, don't get hurt. Yeah, got nobody it. getting hurt. You're going to be traveling through the forest, and you're going to be taking an Undertake a Perilous Journey role. Let me read you the rules on that. Hooray! Uh, Kaya is going to get a chance to use her most useful ability. Yay! When you travel through hostile territory, choose one party member to act as trailblazer, one as scout, and one as quartermaster. If you don't have enough party members to choose not to assign a job, each, each treat that job as if it rolled a six. Each character with a job to do rolls plus whiz. On a plus 10, the quartermaster reduces the number of rations required by run, by one, rather. On a 10 plus, the trailblazer reduces the amount of time it takes to reach your destination. 
and the scout will spot any trouble quick enough to let you uh, to let you get the drop on it. On a seven through nine, each roll performs their job as expected. The normal number of rations are consumed. The journey takes about as long as expected, and no one gets the drop on you. But you don't get the drop on them either. I will point out this is a three-day trip. It is one day to get out of the forest. It took you long enough that right now, if everything went if normal people were doing this, they would end up with a night just on the edge of the forest. And then it's two days by planes, by just over overland outside of the forest. What roles would you guys like to assign to each of you? So the one that I do, we get a 10 on. That's Correct. my special. So I say that should either be us getting out of the forest faster or not getting having people get the jump or getting the jump on things instead of the things getting the jump on us. I will tell you now that if you choose Trailblazer and you get a 10 on Trailblazer, which you will, uh, you will not spend a night in the woods. I think we want that one. Okay. Kaya is the Trailblazer. Okay. Other roles? Um. Well, I do have a positive wisdom plus one. I do not uh, have any bonuses to wisdom. All right. And I think that it is probably more important for us to spot any danger on the way than to lose rations, because I have twice the starting rations. I've got ten rations, guys. I think I have five, so who needs a quartermaster? In which case, I'll take quartermaster, uh, since that is our least important role at the moment, uh, and I have the least wisdom. Impediment. Make your wisdom roll. Oh, well, that's not the best. It's a seven. It's not the worst, but not. It's the not best. the worst. That's fine. So you're so this trip is going to take a total of four rations, despite the the time differential that has occurred, because you just got hungry by working harder. Um, no, sorry, it's going to take three rations. Kaya, would you like to make your roll? Oh, look, I got a ten. Woo! <laughs> your your ranger power is pretty sweet. So that makes it a that makes it nice. a eleven. With your mad rangering skills, you uh, quite quickly, you pick the best path. You, like, use that creek bed from earlier that was that was quicker for the other people, uh, for the entire other party. And then you actually swap over to a second. Like, you like you notice where it's tilting away from being the most efficient route, and you cut across, across the, the forest directly. And so on that first day, just before nightfall, um, you know, it's actually already quite dark. You guys break through the edge of the of the forest, and now you're going to be able to get yourself a couple hundred yards before actually needing to set up a, a camp uh, so that you can get away from the forest. Izzled, yeah. how's that scouting job? Oh boy. R eight so plus whiz. Eight on the dice, plus one is nine. All right. So uh, you don't get the drop on them, and they don't get the drop on you. So you've just gotten clear of the forest. Um, read. And this reminds you, you were scared of the forest this time. The forest was, was coming after someone, and you didn't trust that it wasn't going to try to grab someone else. But you also remember, as you're heading to quite possibly hostile territory, that you have been into the forest for shelter before. Tell me one time that you thought the forest was safer than the city. I think that would actually probably be right after Reed got out of the university prison. Um... I think that she was really distraught and really distrustful of other human beings and um, and tried to go home to Graham. Um, I don't know if that's the first time, but that's the first one that comes to mind. 
Did finding Gran that time happen immediately, or were you not able to find her? I don't think she was. And I think that's part of why she feels so guilty about finding out that her gang's still alive. So rather than finding Gran, you went into the woods, and you've actually stayed over the night before. Sometimes you've stayed in Gran's house, and sometimes the you've just found other glades like the one at Falthalo. Not one with a, a temple inside of it, but just one that felt quieter and safer. And you've stayed the night in there. That trip where you were looking for Gran, you looked for her for days. You're not even certain how many days. But you remember the thing that led you to get out. And that was when one night you dreamt. And now you remember that you've seen that creature before. Because you saw it in a dream, watching you from the woods. And now you wonder whether that was a dream at all, or a warning. Oh. Oh. Izzled, you're yeah. being the scout, and you're being pretty competent at it. You've spotted some dangerous things inside of the woods, and you've spotted some people. You've noticed that there is a, a trading road just to the south of Harris Reka. You're two days on the road at this point. Well, on the on the trail at this point. And you see that over these rolling plains, and periodically you actually have seen in the west the, the smoke, the fire smoke of, of a house with a chimney of some kind. And you could take a wider route in order to get to those those chimneys and those those settlements, but they're on the edge of the horizon. They're quite a ways away. And so you guys have decided not to because you're you're going on the quick. But now the road is close, and you see on the road a soldier's patrol. Knights, or at least a knight, much like uh, Sir Ansa. You know, uh, chitin armor, a little bit of... Uh, you can see that they've got metal weapons instead of... They've got... Uh, iron weapons instead of having crummy brass or copper weapons. And they're just, they're on a patrol. They've got a, a croxabore loaded with some 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 gear, um, but they're not in any kind of, they're not a war party or anything. And you can see them off in the distance. And you have a choice now as a group to either head a bit west, you'll end up on the road, and you'll end up encountering this group, this group which is currently headed north themselves, north which will take you to Harris Reka. Um, or you can continue off here, quite a distance away, inside of the, the, the tall, you know, untrimmed grass of the massive plains that are sort of the no man's land next to the Verdwood. So we've had the opportunity to, we, we've gotten out of, clear of the forest at this point, the Verdwood. You're clear of the forest, you're clear of the forest for an entire day. You made an entire day's journey. Okay. Just, you know, like, normal adventurers crossing the normal plains. I was uh, hoping that we would be able to make camp and level, but... Uh... You may. In fact, you had a first night there right when you got clear where you guys could make camp and level. Oh, great. Oh, <laughs> that would be really nice. That'd be really nice. Also, all of you gain half your hit points back. Yeah, that, that would also be very nice. Um, you do not heal any debilities as those take three days in... Of rest. Okay, so that's going to be a while. Yes. That's fine. And you guys take your watches, but you're not getting you're not getting ambushed. I'm not going to do that to you. Okay. Not yet. Not yet. Just by weird dreams and bad memories. Yes. Uh, let me read you the level up move. Oh, sure. 
When you have downtime, hours or days, and XP equal to or greater than your current level plus 7, subtract your current level plus 7 from your XP and increase your level by 1. You choose a new advanced move from your class, but it will be the early moves, not the later moves that are divided by something that says you have to be higher than level 6. Uh, if you are a spellcaster, you also get to add a new spell to your spellbook. Um, choose one of your, and everybody gets to choose one of their stats to increase by one, which may change your modifier, and if it's constitution, it also increases your hit points by one. I'd note, you didn't get any extra hit points in there. Oh. Because it ain't D&D. Interesting. Uh, does everybody have a, a, an advanced move that they're in love with, or, Izzel, do you have a spell that you would like to learn? Well, I actually do have a move, uh, that I've had my eyeball on. It's called On the Move. Mm -hmm. And it triggers when I defy danger caused by movement, such as falling off a narrow bridge or rushing past an armed guard or doing parkour bullshit over the legs of a sapling. Uh, I take plus one. I'm really surprised that that was listed there. Yes, yeah. you should totally take so, that move. So strangely specific. What stat are you going to increase? Oh, I missed that part. Mine is pretty straightforward. I will be taking the the well-traveled advanced move because I only get to take this move if it's my very first advancement, so I'm going to do it. So Ooh. I also get the resourceful background in addition to the trailblazer background. Uh, what does resourceful get you? It says, when I make camp in a dungeon or city, I don't need to consume a ration. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I will be increasing my wisdom by... One point, which will actually up my wisdom modifier and make it a two. Yay! Heisenberg. Yes, I'm going to put one more point into intelligence. I am going surprise. To, I am going to take the charm person spell. Ooh. Uh, what spells are you memorizing today? Oh yeah, I get to prepare an extra spell. Uh, I'll go with charm person. Um. Magic Missile, and Telepathy. And I'd like to try casting Telepathy on Reed. Oh, hi. Ooh. If she'll let me. Yes, I that's feel, right. I have this sensation that, like, we've tried this before, and part of why you don't do this very often with Reed is because I just talk to you out loud instead of remembering to use the telepathy. <laughs> All right, so maybe I should cast it on Guy. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is it still works, and so every time that Reed tries to, like, say a thing to you, or shout at you from a great distance, but has telepathy active, like, you hear her think, oh, I should tell Izzel this, and then she shouts at you. <laughs> Actually, I have an idea. Um, I'd like to take the advanced move Empower Magic. Uh... And I would like to try and cast telepathy with an additional target so that we're all telepathically connected. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. This will be great. To do that, I'm going to have to get 10 or higher. Um, so there's a chance it'll only work on... Can I ask a question others. before you make your roll? Yes. So it's a new day. How long does that uh, invisible servant spell normally last? Oh, that motherfucker is sticking around. <laughs> <laughs> hoping you weren't gonna say that the answer to that is is i believe normally it's uh it's concentration and so the moment that izzel falls asleep 
normally the uh, the the specter disappears and whatever it was carrying just kind of slowly drops itself to the ground. No, 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 that head, because that it's still invisible. You could only see it when you first cast that spell. The the head of the Iron Immortal is just following you, and as you sleep, it's just right next to your head. Right. <laughs> Does this change your spell choice at all? I mean, I was also thinking of invis- taking invisibility as I level up, but no, I think being charming would be even better. Yeah, Chama, you. Let's see how your, your spell goes today. Right. So, I'm going to try and cast telepathy. Primary target, Kaya, but if I can manage to get Reed in on the in on the network. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. I don't think she takes it personally when she's not, so at least How'd there's it go? that. Uh, not well enough. It's six on the dice, plus two is, is merely eight. I um, connect with Kaya and forget telepathy for the day. Impediment. Hmm? You you sniff that vapor that is going to concentrate in your nose, and it just irritates your nose heavily, and you just sneeze, and those those mercury droplets just come right out. That's pretty funny. I love it. But Great I'm job, gonna everyone. Go one more further and say that she sneezes, and the mercury droplets come right out onto Kaya's shirt. Aww. And Kaya's like, what? What? Really? Really? Uh. Great. That's gross. Oh, this happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it tickled. I don't know how you don't sneeze. I just don't. I decide not to sneeze. I'm going to remember this the next time you catch a cold. Yeah. <laughs> it is the late afternoon of that. Well, let's 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 give you a good time. It is the morning of the final day of your journey. Your 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 second day went without a hitch. And you you practiced your new spell and you attempted to cast it and you just didn't end up networked on this this third and final morning of your trip. And Isold has spotted this traveling party of guards on a road quite a ways away to the west, but you could travel seemingly to town with them, or you could choose to not engage. Um, Arvo, Barker, and Anza have not seen this because Isold is the scout and is the one keeping an eye and Arvo and Barker and you guys are just chatting like you do on the road Barker has really like raunchy stories that he likes to tell awesome uh, Sir Anza seems to be like unflappable from embarrassment humor she's just like the raunchy stories don't quite work on her because maybe maybe she's had a surprisingly body life for you know a, a, a noble knight, uh, or maybe she just isn't isn't affected by that. Uh, Brother Arvo thinks everything's funny and thinks that like dick and fart jokes are the best. And and because he laughs at basically everything, uh, Barker just plays up those those elements of his stories. Nice. Reed is easily distracted by these things. Kaya does not like this kind of humor and is therefore walking slightly ahead of everyone else and mostly just kind of telepathically talking with Isold. <laughs> Isold, you see this party. What do you do? Well, I'll uh, contact my friend Kaya. Say, I've spotted a, a group on the road. Seems to be a patrol. A patrol? That's right. Soldiers. Soldiers. We approach, and they're going our way. We More can hang soldiers. back. Ugh, I bet they also tell uncouth jokes. 
Let's let's not. There's a reason I've been st- staying well ahead of the rest of you. <laughs> More soldiers. Even if they're friendly, they're just going to lower the intelligence quotient of the whole group. I just vote that we just stick to our path. You think we can avoid them? Let's do. Let's do. <laughs> Let's do. You classist intellectual pricks. <laughs> Oops, um, the mic. <laughs> okay, so you guys managed to, not only do you avoid these people, but, but also by, like, you know, the, the subtle hills of the plains, like, no one else notices. So, at the end of the day, if you guys were to discuss this, Kaya and Izzel are the only ones who know. Nice. Awesome. We're not telling. Nope. <laughs> As you are as you approach evening, you can see the tower of Harris Reka. Harris Reka is built in what's called a, a Mott and Bailey fortress style. So this is a Mott is this really big, and it might be called moat, but I don't want to confuse everyone. Uh, it's a really big, often artificial hill that is built up with a uh, pit isn't the right term, but a, a it has a very steep embankment coming up to it, and then normally a sort of moat-like ditch dug around the, the circle of it. Um, this one, at the very top of that hill, you see a two, maybe three-story, you can't quite tell, wooden structure, like a fortress tower. And it's got arrow holes and all of the, the things that you would expect a defensible structure to have. Um, and you can see that it's got maybe another attached building... Uh, and I'm just going to uh, bring you poor fellows over to the map of Harris Reka. Oh, hey. It's a very pretty map. As you first approach, you can only see this this top hill with its its massive fortified building up there. But then comes into view the watchtowers of the lower encampment, this large wooden area that is completely surrounding walls. So you can't actually see anything that's inside of these walls, um, but they are the trunks of walkwood trees. You don't think these are sapling trees, um, but these are these are walkwood. These are things taken from the verdwood. And in fact, you notice um, that the verdwood is uh, quite a ways away from it. And you can see stumps of the verdwood off to the east, where the edge of this map would, would end. The, the verdwood would have been there five months ago, but it has been chopped back in order to build this fortress. The ditch continues along the eastern side, and you can see where that road comes in. Down here on the southwest, you can see the road that those soldiers were on goes not to the eastern side, but to the western side of the fortress. It looks like all of the entrances to the fortress itself uh, are on the west side, because after all, it's always going to be at war with the east, since that's where the, the forest is. You can see campfires being started in these around this well at the far west near the crossroads. You can see maybe even two or three chimney fires coming from uh, that building in the west, that large building in the west. And this pit that you can see up north, you can see nothing of, because you're on the wrong side of the city entirely. Uh, Looking at it now, Harris Reka, Kaya, you were expecting it to be... It's only five months old. That's how long ago the Nyland siblings, the Baron Nyland... Uh, arrived. And this is built up enormously for a town that has only existed for five months. This is insane. What is this? And that's also unnerving because you, 
as a noble from the Empire, are aware that Baron Nyland is a baron. They have land holdings uh, to the essentially straight south of Kunin's Forge, but against the mountains. Um, so at the very far southern, southern central tip of the Empire. And they just came here and set up shop five months ago. They brought a contingent of troops and began building this fortress in this land that you would maybe describe as unincorporated, but technically this is in the, the sort of parish of Mustonenfell. Uh, this is claim jumping, but because they're with the Order of Wood and they've been fighting the forest, no one's pressed the issue. But this, this is big. What do you do? I'm gonna ask Isold silently if she has any theories as to why or how the uh, encampment could have built been built so quickly because I'm actually a little bit, it is a little bit concerning to me that it is that built up that quickly because I don't even know how that's possible. Like, is that even physically possible to go from zero to this in five months? Depends on how many people you have. Isold, would you like to spout lore on that? You could also conceivably uh, discern realities. Those are just going to be some weird questions to answer to that. Or if you'd like, you could actually use your own personal knowledge. Because theoretically, this is possible. (laughs) Right. Um, I'll spout lore, I guess, on since, you know, Professor Isold is is professorial and loves spouting. Spouting lore. Yep. Technically, strategy is outside of your studying, like, but you know a lot of it because it's so so adjacent to tactics, right? And about uh, that lore, build, building building techniques, things like. I'm not going to waste a book on this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it so much. Talk about about yeah. earthworks and palisades and why people generally don't use verdwood because of reasons. There are some reasons. I actually, um, how does aiding work on something like this? I don't think you can, because I asked it to her silently. Yeah, Um, because they use psychic communication and once again cut you out of the loop, which you may get to have a bond at the end of this for, they're always leaving me out of things. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I think I will actually, Isolde, will spout out loud. Just what caused the spouting was internal? Was silent. It was like, ah, yes. I see that there have been extensive earthworks constructed here and fences and palisades and watchtowers. You know, all along the watchtowers, princes kept the view. Or so it is said. God damn it. (laughs) Read, since you do know so much about the wood. Uh, I would actually, and you have shown an interest in aiding. Uh, you two have an opportunity to discuss this a bit as he's talking. And because you're impediment read, you can interrupt him. And in that way, you help. Yeah. So please roll aid. Oh, you aid so you're well. Old, you're doing great. Oh, cool. I see that 12 on strength. Huh. Your help is so strong. Uh- <laughs> All right. Yeah, you're actually like surprisingly knowledgeable about this shit. That's great. That means you helped me. You bumped me up from a 9 to a 10 on my spout lore. Awesome. Yeah, that's Isold fantastic. is now learning new things from Impediment Reed. And yeah. is now thinking, oh, yes, finally, 
These are the things that she's been hiding from me all this time. <laughs> so, Reed, the thing that you're able to add to this discussion, because initially, initially, the good professor actually underestimates the number of people that would be needed. She is thinking Stillwood, and oh, she thinks yeah. of uh, of a forest being cut down and deforested in order to build a fortress of this size, taking almost, like two-thirds as many people as it needs. And at the end of this, you know now that if this city or fortress was built in five months, there needed to be 300 or so people contributing to it. And you know that the contingent of troops that came here couldn't have numbered more than 50 initially. That means that they have been throwing coin around a lot of it in order to build this quickly or otherwise have gotten the assistance of other military forces. I was actually also going to ask, since I rolled well on this aid, um, and really my areas of expertise are kind of the forest, but also drugs. And SAP is known for helping people stay awake longer, making them stronger, better, faster. And we also know they kidnapped my gang. Mm-hmm. We don't know, do we know how early in the building process they grabbed a sap running gang? Uh, you could ask. Yeah. Because I, you've got someone here who has that answer. I think I totally may have been asking questions about my gang this whole trip. So you know that they actually acquired the gang in a deal that they struck before arriving? Because you said it was a while ago that you got, that they got grabbed. Yeah. Possibly and, a long uh, while. They retrieved them from Mustanenfell the day... Uh, they, they sent a contingent to retrieve them from Mustanenfell, where they were being held for a little while, for reasons, hmm. before being brought up here. This deal was in the works for a while, before they led the expedition here, and the, the, the Greenbark gang was brought to this location just days after construction started, days after the yeah. Nyland siblings arrived. Yeah. That's what I was afraid to hear. It is Sir Anza who provides you that information, but also Barker chimes in with, They didn't take your sap no? to stay up. Don't use that in your numbers. Hmm. The, uh, the good Baron doesn't approve of sap. Hmm. Then why'd she take a gang? Funny that, isn't it? Here's another question for you. She doesn't approve of sap, but they did get an awful lot of it by cutting down those trees and draining them dry. So, who got away with all that sap? I don't know why you're asking me. You're the one who lived there. I know, but you're the one curious about your gang, and I sure would like to know the answer. Someone out there, someone beyond the walls, or maybe maybe we could uh, ask Sir Otso Lokanen if, uh, if he knows anything, or maybe his sister Ritva. There's also an uh, innkeeper who runs a bit of a trade-in house, Able Public. That's the innkeeper, not the house. Oh. Oh. It might be him dealing him. I don't... I don't understand. I don't know. A crime? It's not my back. I mean, I... I don't understand why it is a crime, but that's not my problem. Oh, usually we categorize this sort of economic activity as vice. Yeah, you'd think that, but amongst the troops, Baron Nyland has forbidden it, so it's a crime. Right. Right. Now outside there in the city, well, well, the town, the tents, you know... It's just good, good, clean, imperial fun. I take a hit from time to time. I get mine in the tents. 
it's nice stuff. I mean, if it's made it's, right. It is if it's made right. Oh, God. Get a bad batch of that stuff and... It, it'll well, do some damage, honestly. That might be why we don't give it to the troops. We like the numbers we have. What are those numbers, Sir Asa? Sir Ansa's like, well, you'll find out soon enough, but currently the troop contingent runs 150 head. Where did you recruit these troops from if you brought about 50? I actually didn't come with the first party. I, I joined up because I like the barons. We've all lost family to the woods, and I, I want to get a little bit back. The barons offering us a chance to do that. And that message, it spreads. And a little bit of coin helps. No, with as much sap as you'd get from downing that many trees. That's not a little bit of coin. I'd ask Brother Venamo about that. And, uh, Brother, uh, Brother Arvo's like, Now, now look. Venamo's a lot of things. But he wouldn't go behind the Baron's back like that. I mean, obviously not, right? Both Barker and Sir Ansa stare at him and are just like... And aren't agreeing. Hmm. 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 Well. So there's this town ahead of you. Yeah. There's a single road going in. I mean, there's also one, like, way to the west, but that would be dumb. And it looks like Anza and Arvo and Barker are pretty eager to get to that road and get in and and head into town. Right, there is yeah. the complication that we're being followed by a a shadow ghost that is carrying a large metal head. Oh, I... Yeah, that's going to get some attention. You also have a weird cat that is not normally domesticated. Oh, Angus is real sweet when she gets to know him. It sounds kind of like purring, but it sounds sort of like snarling. <laughs> <laughs> Barker has pet Angus. Angus and Barker seem to get along. Despite the fact that, honestly, Barker's brimming with weapons and has bark skin armor. This should be the person who gets along least well with animals ever. They get along fine. Yeah. Nice. Angus does not trust Brother Arvo, though. Too soft. Sir Ansa says, So this is really where the trouble gets pretty real. You're close to our town, and you know that that's what the Baron is after. And gestures to the ghost and the floating head. Not that anybody can see the ghost, but it's presumed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we're going to go talk to the Baron. That was the whole plan. Yeah. My inclination is to go straight to the Baron. I want to talk to the Baron. That's. I the... would love a bath beforehand, but, you know, exigency, a change of robes, too. Acid burns just are not fitting for polite company. Uh, but I guess the exigencies of the circumstances, yes, I'd love to go and present our findings to the Baron. Uh... Uh, Isold, Sir Anza looks you over. Anza's shorter than Barker, but Anza's a little bit taller than you. How short is Isold? Isold's short. <laughs> You've said they're short, but is it like short? Like, let's imagine that people have American heights instead of historical heights sure. as far as averages go, um, because people were shorter in the past. Uh, are you like 5'4 for a woman? So you're on just the slight short side of, of American women, or are you like five foot? I mean, 5'1", five 5'2", five yeah. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. A standard okay. standard deviation below below uh, the average American female height of 5'4 as of the late 90s. Sir Ann's just like, I'm sorry, I don't think I have 
a formal outfit for you. I understand you would like to, to, to get cleaned up, but I think we're going to have to clean up what you have or what you have packed. Oh, great. Just a, a I do have some extra flair. Lovely. <laughs> but it is important that we get this to the Baron and off the road, away from prying eyes. And if you would be so kind as to truthfully explain how we were instrumental in acquiring this object. Absolutely. You know, we get along pretty well. There was some confusion at the start, and I don't honestly understand your motives, but I can understand believing that you needed to rescue your friend, Shimshackle, who I'm genuinely surprised hasn't come back. Yeah, I'm increasingly worried about that. But he usually knew how to take care of himself. Brother Arvo actually chimes in, Look, I didn't hear the woods call out again after they were silenced. That's probably good, right? Probably. In my experience, yeah. It's great. As long as no mundane animal got him, it's probably fine. Well, yeah. I saved his life. <laughs> Ungrateful. So you guys so you guys continue on down to the road, and now it's definitely uh, sunset when you finally reach the, the southern edge of that crossroads and you're reaching the first tents. And a lot of partying goes on inside of this city. There are people... These tents are large like it's like people are taking temporary tents that the traders use and bring on wagons and then deploy and are turning them very slowly into permanent settlements by adding planks that they've they've you know gotten off of soldiers or apparently people go to the woods with the soldiers and sometimes come back with some some for themselves christ but by and large these villagers they talk about that that they they're clearly mostly temporary that this is a train of migrating tradesmen who are coming here selling their wares and leaving and some of them are setting up shop to repair armor or or that sort of thing and they're hawking wares right now in fact the soldiers are off duty so soldiers are just walking around with just tabards on and not their armor sort of wheeling and dealing with the local merchants you're seeing a lot of coin exchanged which is interesting only in the sense that if the Baron were outfitting things for the troops, she could demand them. So these are personal exchanges happening between people rather than official exchanges being done by uh, the Nyland household. Hmm. There's a well inside of the center of that crossroad, and there's a big sign on that large building outside the door that says, The Beyond. And there is definitely a party happening inside of that open space uh, on the southwestern edge of that big building. That is like a beer stand that just runs out. It actually crosses the street. It's on the other side of the street, too. There are musicians. There are people uh, playing. Uh, and people are seeing the floating fucking head behind you <laughs> and giving you a lot of distance and gawking. And even actually uh, a, a gentleman with a with a distant, like, a West, a West Imperial accent comes up and offers to buy it. Ha ha ha. No, my floating head. Sir Anza and Brother Arvo both kind of shoo, shoo this, this merchant away, and the merchant's like, okay, yeah, sure. But, you know, if you've got anything else weird from the woods, like, they're clearly actually looking for information. This isn't a trying to buy anymore. This is trying to figure out where you came from. Oh, Lord. Uh, is the group pausing, or are we moving on? Because Reed would be along. tempted to start regaling with stories of bragging. Reed, everyone else has moved on. Do you want to talk to this man? He seems very interested in hearing your stories. 
Do I notice oh, that no. Reed has stopped? <laughs> I don't. Uh, do you? <laughs> I think that the bond that Reed has with Kaya means that Kaya notices. And Kaya is like, finally, it's my turn to pull Reed out of the fire. And she runs back. It's like, come on, Reed. Aww. Not talking to this guy right now. Tell him your stories later. Give it the group. It was lovely meeting you. Drinks later. Stories later. Absolutely. What's your name? The name's Reed. Reed. Got it. Great. I'm Olaf. Just ask for Olaf. All right. I Olaf. Olaf. <laughs> Adding fucking Olaf to the list. Great. <laughs> snowman. Talking snowman. Curious stranger. Ooh, good time. Traitor. Okay, so you pass by the the beyond, and you reach the the gates. And uh, as soon as people see Anza and Barker and Arvo and Honestly God, the fucking floating head, you see one of the soldiers take off as a runner. You know they're not in armor; they're just in a tabard, and you know it's a messenger. Yep, that's a yeah. And uh, two guards salute as Sir Anza arrives. Man, there's a lot of uh, respect here. That's kind of cool. Izzel will salute back because she's cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, they're not insulted, but they sort of shrug. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Saranza just strides in. There is a gate here, but it's not. That's one thing you'll note because you, you did roll so well on this. Normally there's a stone gatehouse or a wooden gatehouse at worst. This is just a fucking gate in this side of the wall because that's not where their trouble comes from. So it's a big wooden door and it's solid, but it's not siege-worthy. Huh. Coming into this space, the messenger has run off ahead to presumably scale the mot, which isn't going to be very fun. To your east is uh, the barracks, and that is that is the, the barracks in which seemingly everybody lives. You can tell sort of from its design, and it's got some uh, windows and sort of side walls that can open up to air the place out, that they've got stacked cloth bunks, so it's like wood posts and then almost hammocks, but not quite stretched cloth beds. Uh, in long rows, just running sort of the whole length of this thing. And then there's a mess area inside of the center of it that you can see through that that an opening in the, in the middle of it that goes between the two buildings of this U-shaped barracks. You know, a big well and a mess where a lot of troops are eating right now, because apparently this must be like a turning over of the, of the guard or whatever. Maybe they all sleep at night because they're not particularly concerned. Uh, there's a supply house to your right that you're passing, but probably the biggest, most noticeable thing about in here is this heavy wooden build, sorry, this heavy stone building with a thatch roof at the apex of this curve to the north of the, of the barracks. That looks nice. It's got an, uh, an iron and wood door and its windows are arrow slits. This is not. This is a building that is also dis- designed to withstand a great deal of trouble. Huh. Iron is um, iron is valuable and rare in this world, as I recall. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it is iron. They would just be entering the Iron Age. It's still rare enough to get that it. You don't normally find people with iron weapons. Generally, they'll be brass. Uh, is sort of the the most common. Uh, lower quality things will be copper. Iron is not the highest quality because every creation of iron creates some steel. That's just kind of how you you get it. And there is a single trading community that appears to generate a great deal of steel uh, called Cragsmith. But yeah, an iron and wood door means that somebody does not want people getting in there. Yeah, they have the riddle of steel. 
iron and wood door. Uh, also of note is uh, druids, two or three of them, hanging out in the in front of that door at just a campfire, cooking up a meal for themselves. Uh, but you recognize them inside of their same robes. And Brother Arvo actually says, I won't rejoin my brothers until we've we've spoken to the Baron, but I, I should get back to them and tell them what I've observed. Uh, Professor Heisenberg, you appear to be a man of great learning. And well, then- you took... Sorry, a, a woman of great... Well, actually, they might be using the general term, but still. Huh. A woman of great learning. Gendered terms are tough. Uh, we would be honored if you would actually stay with the uh, the brothers and sisters and I for the evening and maybe regale us with tales of the things that you know. Oh, well, quite generous of you. I doubt I could add much more to your vast stores of knowledge. Maybe I can tell you about my time in the, uh, in the Department of Tactical and Ethnographic Studies. Recently, cre- recently created at the university. I would love to know what leads the university to make such a specialized yet strangely diverse studying <laughs> facility and group. Right. But all in good time. All in good time. Since you're with Saranza and she knows where she's going, you don't have any... Nobody, like, stops you. This is a commanding officer, a noble and a yeah. knight. Uh, and you all just proceed to the base of this mott. Um, the steps going up it, you can see the the cauldrons of, of wax or oil that are meant to be poured down it to make it not accessible. Sitting there, they're not, there are no fires underneath them. They're not prepared. But this is definitely, yes, taking quite seriously the concept of being a defensible hill. And as you approach the top... Or as you begin climbing these steps, you see a woman wearing actually a surprisingly simple tabard. Or at least it looks simple when you first approach. And you immediately guess that this this is Baron Nyland. Because the tabard, even though it contains the image that have been on the on, on all of the tabards and on some of the, the sleeves of a uh, stag, it would appear, with large horns. That's the... the the image of the house. She's looking down at you and you realize that her undershirt is silk. Her boots are fine. Her pants look much more expensive than everyone else's and more maintained and quite possibly you don't see any seams on it. She she is clearly in a much more expensive outfit than everyone else around her. I am immediately very interested. <laughs> Another thing of note is that she has brown curly hair. Now, most of the nobility of the Empire are blonde. They're very Nordic in appearance. But she has uh, much more Mediterranean features, if we were going to give them an Earth-like equivalent. And so it is just odd, since the nobility of the country are so homogenous, that she's one of this sort of lesser order. Racism. Oh, racism. The Empire's got a lot of it. Yeah. Great. Grr. If you allow it, Brother Ansa is going to. Sorry, uh, Sir Ansa is going to lead the way up. And uh, when she gets to an acceptable distance, she kneels. And uh, she kneels 
What do you do? Well, I'll uh, approach as well and give a curtsy. Uh, and uh, what about you, Kaya? An appropriate bow of... A bow would be appropriate since you are noble yes, and not someone of, of equal to, to an, an equal to equal type. Uh, dear God, I almost don't want to ask impediment. What do you do? She earns, yeah. earns her <laughs> defies social conventions. Right yeah, here. I'm gonna kind of just take up a post by the head and look as impressively tough as I can. Just kind of stoically. But not, like, threatening tough. Just, like, I'm going for stoic, uh, like, you know. So the head is following just behind the professor. And so you just get next to the head. But because you're enormous. Yeah. Uh, this means that you're actually taller than everyone who's a step above you. Or even two steps above you. Mm-hmm. And that means that it really stands out that you didn't kneel. Oh, yeah. And Brother Arvo is behind you. And so is Barker. Barker much like you, makes no sign of even recognition of the presence of a person at the top of the steps. And Brother Arvo kneels briefly, but gets up before being bid to rise. The Baron notices all of this, sees each of you, takes a moment to take each of you in, and then gestures to rise without saying a word. She just, you know, puts a a palm up at at waist level and then raises it up to indicate that you're free to rise. Reed is going to Bow, uh, bend down and whisper into whoever's standing closest to her who was doing kind of the bowing or kneeling and going, what was that? Just as a quiet whisper. Because <laughs> it just went entirely over her head. Oh, I'll tell you later. Mm. Sir Anza, the Baron says, I would like to thank you for bringing your prize to me, and so quickly, and your entire party making it back Safe and sound. She seems to direct this last part, even though she said it to Sir Anza, to Barker, staring right at Barker. Then she says, You've brought an interesting group of friends. Allies? Are these mercenaries that you hired, Sir Anza? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Kaya is not going to stand for that. (laughs) Uh, How are you not going to stand for that, Kaya? Um, Kaya is going to... um, put her hands on her hips, raise an eyebrow in her most imperial fashion and say, mercenary? Really? You do look equipped to kill, and that equipment is quite fine and could have been acquired with coin or skill. I don't think that one such as Sir Ansa, however noble of mind she may be, could attract my attention. And what attention would that be? Allow me to introduce myself. I am Baron Sade Nyland. The lord of this land. Reed is now looking kind of to and from people definitely confused by this outburst. Your reputation surrounds you, Baron Nyland. <laughs> I am Kaya Wellsmythe. Yeah, mm. that Wellsmythe. You're the Grand Architect's favorite niece, aren't you? Favorite is probably stretching it, depending on your definition of favor. I'm so glad to meet you. Uh, I've I've heard such great reports of the oh. skill of your uncle, and uh, honestly, I'm I'm a little stunned that you don't have a title in the Order of Wood. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on this fortress that we've built. There's actually a, a 
particularly something else to uh, to see our menagerie. Uh, but that's it. It's late at night, and you you honestly shouldn't visit it at night. It's it's much more effective during the day. This is quite the impressive situation for how long it has been here. I am indeed intrigued and would much like to sit and talk with you about what you are about your efforts, Miss Wellsmythe. If you would uh, do me the favor of being the guest in the manor by uh, the, 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 the manor floor of, the, of my fortress. I would love to uh, make certain that you are comfortable and, and clean, and my goodness, you've all have been through so much. Please, do come in. Let's have a nice warm meal uh, and discuss this outcome and this floating head. Um, yeah. is there an alchemist among you? <laughs> that would be me. I did not send one who knows to do that. Yes, the floating head is indeed in our possession. Our alchemist is, is is controlling the floating of it. We did. We we would love to sit and discuss with you how, as a as a joint operation, came to be, and we are very curious as to what you intend to do with this floating head. Oh, do come in. Do come in. She uh, actually begins to back away, and she's gestured at um, some. Servants, just serfs inside of cleanish, simple clothing. They don't have, like, this isn't coming across, like, Louis XIV servants who are in vests and gilt stuff. This is just simple clothes, shirt, pants, uh, uh, cloth, shoes, because everything's terrible. Uh, and uh, and they, they come and they, they offer to take your gear. Absolutely. Here, take my stuff. That's very kind of you. Perhaps we can. You could show us to our rooms, and we can see to the disbursement of our gear ourselves. I, I'm used to making certain that my things are put away a certain way. If, it's not that they get wrinkly; it's just that they aren't the way I like them, and that I can't find them. You understand. Rooms would be tough. I only have one guest apartment in the uh, in the in the manor here. This is a fortress. It's mostly made for defense. Only one floor of it is dedicated to uh, my comfort. We do, I, I can definitely give orders to uh, to Able, Able Public, down at the end to house your friends. Or if you wish, you could all share a room, uh, the apartment, if, if, if that is what you would desire. Um, I would prefer not to... Uh, no offense, Baron, but... We've only just met. Let's let's not separate me from my known companions quite yet. They they can share the apartment with me if that's if that's all right with you guys. Oh, that's that's perfectly acceptable. I was simply concerned uh, uh, for your company. I appreciate your concern. We're all still very new to this settlement and how it came to be, and I'm sure you understand. It's very a run in the forest makes people jumpy. I would yeah. Using telepathy, I'll think at um, at Kaya. I have to share a room with Reed. She keeps on trying to get high off of my alchemy equipment. Kyle reminded her, it's okay. We have a locked box for that. Can I go stay with the druids? <laughs> <laughs> Please. Tomorrow night, maybe. But tonight, we don't know these people. Let's stick together, okay? Okay. Sorry. We'll make Reed sleep on the floor. Don't worry. Oh, you guys are going to be so disappointed. 
Reed is going to get to that apartment first, and she's just going to jump all over that bed. Just going to sprawl all over it. Uh, the clothes still on. Everything. Stinking. Oh, that's yeah. Right. Barker pipes up. Baron, I'll be taking my leave now. There's uh, some folks in town I'd like to see, and I'm not really good for polite company. He makes a like an exaggerated gesture of a bow and doesn't wait to be dismissed and just walks off. Well, he got that right. No matters. No matters. So the servants help you get sorted in your your room. So the first floor is... This is a three-story fortress. And also a roof, incidentally, that looks like it's also not fucking around. The first floor is... The the walls are kept clear of any kind of, uh, of this storage, but it clearly has a few days of supplies, some extra weapons, a mixture mostly of brass weapons, as well as some chitinous armor sets. Um, nothing, like, magical, and nothing that's the exotic barkskin armor that Barker has. Um, and uh, it's got very narrow, fortified arrow slits on this floor. These have been fortified with a bit of, of, of steel binding, because they're going to be taking a hit. Um, quite possibly. And uh, there's a stairway up to the second floor, which they, uh, the servants lead you up. This stairway, this floor is like somebody transported a manor house into this, you know, rough and tumble frontier land. It is, it's got expensive rugs laid out. It's not completely covered. It's a wood plank floor, but uh, it's got expensive rugs laid out. Um, it has a dining area with a... Uh, it has what a, a cook fire, a heating fire inside it with a with a chimney, but that doesn't seem like it's big enough to cook for any kind of group of people. And there is like a dining room set here, and off of that there are two apartments: one larger, which is the Baron's, and one smaller, which is presumably for the three of you. The servants guide you into that uh, apartment, and it's not as lavish. Though you can still tell that that a lot of care was given to this room. Uh, it has a, a dresser and an armoire in it that look like they were they were crafted inland. They might even be from Kunin Forge itself, um, because they are they're intricately crafted, and it just looks like it was nice. But maybe in the last month or so, it's it's not been as lived in, and so it's not tended to as well. It has a single sort of still smaller than queen-size beds because the bed on the frontier is not going to be super big. Uh, and that one's got a frame and uh, a mattress that's made of some historically appropriate material. And there's some floor space for you guys to set out bed rolls for those of you that don't want to just hop onto this admittedly nice canopied bed, but uh, there is only the one of it. And there's other reasonable things to be inside of an apartment room. One of the servants is kind enough to point out that there actually are latrines at the the edge of the hill that Wonderful. are enclosed. Oh, that's so nice. Where does it lead to, I wonder? <laughs> you guys have a moment of privacy in here. The servants, once they've carried your stuff in, you know, inform you that if you need anything, call or knock and they will they will come. Uh, but they give you a moment to, you know, they kind of expect you to maybe disrobe before having dinner with the, the Baron and getting into nicer clothes, but I don't actually know if that's an option. Oh, not really, but you can get a little cleaner. Get some of the Oh, uh, the head followed you in. Yes, oh. of course. Right. The head is I our see- head. It stays with us. 
I assume that my armoire filled with my um, my better clothes are still left in uh, the town we originally came from. What was the name of that place? They're in the room. Uh, they're in the soggy bottom soggy in bottom. your reserved room inside of Mustanenfell. Right, Mustanenfell. That's right. Yeah, it's gonna be rough. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll wash up. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to wear these ad- sap-stained robes. That's rough. I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna turn the head around so that it's not looking at us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting when you do that. Oh boy. You've gotten actually the impression that the ghost isn't orienting the head to look at people. It seems to just be carrying it sort of willy-nilly. But now that you've actively turned it away, as soon as you back away from it, it just sort of slowly rolls to staring at the room. It knows that that bothered you now. Oh, no. Great. <laughs> um, I would like, if there has been any means for uh, Reed to keep an eye open during the journey for... Um, appropriate small sacrifices. She maybe has been surreptitiously when we make camp making small sacrifices and begging the forest to take the ghost back. Uh, you've had an opportunity to do so, but mostly with sort of plains lizards and forest rodents that have come out at night. So like, you actually haven't slept as well as everyone else. Not that this has a mechanical effect inside of the the, the game for you, but you you've had an opportunity to make you know, your small sacrifices to the forest. Yeah. Uh, in here, though, yeah, they're, they're, they're rats. Uh, don't ask for a description of rats, because they don't look like our rats. Uh, but there are rats, because every encampment will have them, and birds and stuff. But it doesn't seem like, A, they get into here. Yeah. They seem to take that pretty seriously. Uh, so tonight might not be the best night for it. Well, and by now I may have given up. <laughs> Yep. Clearly, the little clearly the little stuff hasn't worked. Uh, Reed is just generally spooked about the head, and now just trying to pretend that she's tougher than that. Yeah, great. So great. Angus leaps up onto the bed and circles around Wonderful. three times and lies down smack dab in the middle of it. Good. Key. Great. Great. Angus is not a clean cat right now. Mm. This is a very dirty cat. <sighs> it's been on a long journey. Yeah. It's been stressed out because there's a ghost. Uh, it's made new friends, which always kind of excites it. Uh, and as such, Angus Angus isn't as clean as you would like. And you... Oh, God damn it, cats. Especially big ones. Smelly cat. Smelly cat. It's not your fault. <laughs> I'm going to go up to Angus and be like, Seriously, cat? I was going to sleep there. Now nah, I don't know if I it, want to. You ah, get this distinct right. feeling... That there's space to the left and to the right of cat, which is meant for humans. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be one of those, huh? Yeah. Angus yeah. like lifts the head, looks at me, purrs, goes back to sleep. Yeah. While the two more civilized of our friends are probably getting themselves ready for dinner, uh, Reed's probably actually gonna sit on the bed and like rummage through her bag and pull out like a little comb or something and start grooming the cat. <laughs> That's great. Because she finds this very soothing after uh, a, a long day on the road. Yeah. And more so than cleaning herself up for some reason. Kaya has know. actually given up and let Reed be the person that carries Angus's brushes. 
<laughs> so, I like it. Whatever. I would like to congratulate all of you. Uh, impediment, you are now 100% certain that this bed now has fleas. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, I thought I already had those. Well, it's confirmed. Ah. Uh, yep. Mythbusters have confirmed this. Uh. <sighs> Poor kitty got fleas. I'm casting prestidigitation. <laughs> Cla- uh, are you? And what are you cleaning doing? Cleaning myself and <gasps> fumigating for fleas. <laughs> Fuck yes, give me a fumigation and cleaning roll. Yes, I love it. Let's go for... I'm going to take this opportunity to get some water. I will be right back. Oh, Oh, merely Fuck me, man, but you've got a bonus to that. Right, merely an eight. Like, I'm curious what this looks like to do this prestidigitation. Now, I will say, when you do prestidigitation with alchemy, it's actually several different concoctions, and you use different ones for different purposes. That is how you get that range of effects. Uh So this time you're creating some sort of magic cleaning agent, something that will mend your clothes, make everything smell nice, and remove stains and all that stuff. What does that look like? I mean, there's going to be some baking soda and some some lemon, some lemon-scented uh, acid, maybe vinegar, maybe a combination of white white wine vinegar and, and lemon, and a little bit of iron water to give it some kick, because that's where the magic comes from. Yeah, this is going to be some magic Febreze. It's going to be blasting out after I admix everything. Yeah. So I'd like to make one small addendum. When you mix this magic yep. Febreze, you do actually have to, to take these two right. canisters that you make of it and you prime them by sort of touching them to a clean part or to a an undamaged part of your robe and of the bed so that it knows what a good clean bed is. And then they get to work. And you see... The dust come off. You see uh, the stains from your attack earlier come off, and and even some of the holes mend a little bit. But they're a little. There's still a hint of them there. They're still rough. Um, they're still damaged. It's just cleaner and mended, and it's not going to rip or or tear this this beautiful robe of yours. However, it does have one unintended effect, which is uh, your flare fades a little. It becomes a little bit more in common with the uh, the rest of your your robe. Now, you only got a partial success, right. so you're going to need to take a minus one on going, or lose the spell, or draw unwanted attention to yourself. Oh, I'll, I'll lose the spell. Remember, it's not that you've forgotten it, it's just that you don't have any reagents left to perform that same spell. Right. Pet is really big and dirty, needs, needs a lot of cleaning. Used up all my reagents for that one. Yep. In addition to cleaning the bed, your magic Febreze spell actually... Uh, eliminates all of the fleas, it delouses the bed, and that effect spreads to Angus and to Reed. Hooray! Hooray! Kaya never had fleas. Fleas wouldn't... Reed is totally cooing at Angus going, who's a pretty kitty? Doesn't that feel better without fleas? Oh, when Angus is clean, he is so soft. Yeah. You just want to, like, stick your face in his fur because he's so soft. Just as the air clears of that Febreze, you can smell, coming in from underneath the door, from the dining room outside, you smell this beautiful warm stew, meat stew. Ah, uh, a hearty filling stew. You're all cleaned up, you're all settled. It's clearly time for dinner outside. Is there any last thing you'd like to do before meeting with well, the first, Baron? One last thing I'd like to do is uh, touch the ghost and, and ask him if there's anything he'd like to do to prepare for dinner. That's brave. 
That's fantastic. How, how does he feel about this whole whole situation? You touch him. You put your hand on his arm, and you feel yourself growing hot. Hotter than you've ever been oh before boy. in your life. You feel a stickiness cling to your skin. Something heavy and hot. And you know now, overlaid over your own vision of this nice, peaceful room, you can see above you the tar being poured onto you as you climb up a ladder. This tar is clinging to you, and just above you, you can see the torch as it begins to fall. What do you do? I am going to take a step back and clear my head. That will be a Defy Danger whiz you're resisting with mental fortitude. Alright, that's going to be a seven. Total. All right, with a seven, you stumble, hesitate, or flinch. Put yourself inside of a troubling position. You stumble backward, pushing away the thoughts of this impending death, this fiery demise. This memory still clings to you as you back up and slam against the door of the apartment. The door doesn't come open, it doesn't turn that way, but you hear a sword draw on the other side. Steel, maybe iron, pulled from a wooden scabbard. Hey... Is everyone all right in there? You hear the Baron's voice calling out. Just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Just fine. Get all cleaned up. Yep. There should be three of you in there. Tall one, speak up or I'm coming in. What? Oh, yeah, just a little clumsy. You hear the sword go back into its sheath with a click. Okay, glad to hear it. And you hear someone sit down. Why are they So before we go out there, guys... Well, because we have a floating giant head, that's why. Who wouldn't be scared of someone who could do that? I mean, real, t- real talk, head. though. Real talk. We need to we need to come up with a name for this guy. I mean, you, you're the one who seems to have a rapport with it. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's, um... Though, uh, it, I'm guessing it's not too happy with how you, um, jumped back there. Oh, we seem to have some kind of misunderstanding. Why don't we call him Herman? Oh, Herman. Herman the head. So let's go out to dinner, Herman, ladies. All right. So you guys now cleaned up and frightened by a vision and with a knowledge that uh, there's some tension in the room. A drawn blade when there was a sudden noise. Step out to see what guests are with you for dinner. Seated at this long table, which only sits six people. This isn't an enormous fortress. This is actually a pretty crowded dining room at this point. The Baron sits at the head of the table. She has an empty seat to her right that still has a drink set out for it, but no food or or silverware. One seat down from that is Sir Ansa, and Brother Arvo is also seated at the table. There are three chairs for, you know, one for each of you. The table isn't immaculately set. It doesn't have a runner or anything like that. But there are servants around to bring you drinks. Uh, There are are bowls of uh, of food, already warm bowls of of stew for each of you that seem to be, you know, local root vegetables as well as uh, meat, which is probably crocs of boar meat. Oh, man, that's decadent. It's nice. Very good. All right, I'll go sit down next to the Baron. Wait, like, literally next to the Baron and the empty chair with the one drink in it? Uh, uh, he you did said, say there's no food set there. You said there were only three seats. Uh, there are only three... that was one of them. 
You said the table set sit, set. Yes, the, well, I'm I'm assuming there there are okay. There are seven available seats because that one is okay. a seat that's being counted as occupied. <laughs> ah, okay. It is I, it is it is it doing its best to broadcast that that is an occupied seat. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you said initially that the table sat six, and then you proceeded to describe all six of those seats, and I assumed that the empty one was one anyway. Uh, it will comfortably sit six. It will also sit seven. Okay. <laughs> So a little snubbed, not being being set below Sir Ansa. That's well, Ansa has a Ansa has land. Mm, she got you there. Mm. Ansa does have land. Wow, Just... wow. Ugh. All right. So of the three seats, I guess I'll try to sit closest to the um, the Baron. If only. Let's uh let's since we care about the geography of this table, let's let's be a little bit more clear. The seat to her right hand, since she's at the head of the table that's reserved for seemingly just a drink, that's available. Uh then beyond that seat is Sir Ansa, and let's say that there is the opposite head of the table is available, as is one seat next to Sir Ansa, and then on the left, you can actually have someone sit to either of two spaces to the left of Brother Arvo, who is seated to the left of the Baron. Okay. And well, Barker is not around, so they're not included right. in this no, picture. No, no, Barker. Telepathically, I will propose to to um, to Kaya that she sits at that she sit at the Baron's right hand, where there's no food set already. Right. Uh, don't the other places already have food? Yes, the other places all have food. That is an, that is a place with just a drink and no table settings and no food. Oh my. Oh, no. Kaya's going to telepathically reply to Isild, let's not make too many waves. I'll take the I'll, I'll take the foot of the table. I wanted to test her. I think that place setting is actually set for her brother. Probably. I don't know that he's still with us. Oh. Anyway, Reed's going to take the spot that looks like it has the most leg room. Because I don't want to accidentally play footsie with someone. Intentionally is one thing. Accidentally is always embarrassing. Uh, that'll probably put you at the f- actually directly next to Brother Arvo. Because the way that the table is made, it actually has two sort of carved main planks sort of at either end. So the person at the head of the table and at the foot of the table, they have leg room, but they don't have a bunch. And whoever's at either end seat kind of has to deal with the existence of those legs as well. So the center seat is the one that has the most legroom, which will put you opposite Sir Anza and next to Brother Arvo. Hey, Brother Arvo liked the dirty jokes. So did I. It's true. And Anza tolerated them. Un- unless unless Isold gives me a death glare, that will scare the shit out of me, and I'll let Isold have the seat. Anyone stopping her? No, no. Go right ahead. I should, I should probably go to the end of the table so that the head doesn't get in people's way. Uh... That's good. Oh. That's Just have it. the head staring down the table at um That's great. At Sade. Yep. Yep. That's that's not gonna disturb anyone's dinner at all. Mm. Uh that's pretty great. Uh I guess technically I've laid out a table at this point that can seat eight, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Reed is really trying very hard to not look at the floating head. So for the final seating arrangement, uh Miss Wellsmythe. Uh, yes. You can either sit. Uh, you can sit on either of the end positions, either next to Sir Ansa or next to Reed. I'll sit next to Sir Ansa. Okay. Thank you, friends. I'm glad that all of you could come here. This is the Baron speaking. 
I'm glad that all of you could come here and that we could meet in safety. It's a tradition amongst my people, even though these humble surroundings hardly properly enable me to greet you appropriately. That anyone who eats at the same table, they are, they are at a peace. We will not come to arms whatever discussions and troubles we may have, and I understand that we may have some disagreement, but you are safe in my house for as long as you stay in it. Do you understand? We, I accept your hospitality, Baron, and then I sit. Please, eat however it is that you, uh, that you wish. I'm not familiar with the, the customs of the university, and, uh, I, uh, I've never dined, actually, uh, in the far west, so I don't know, um, if there are more, um, rituals to attend to. Is there anything that you would like to say, uh, if your, if your people make addresses, Miss Wellsmythe? No, no. No, no. No addresses are necessary at this time. This is not a high feast of any sort. During this back and forth between Baron and Kaya, Reed is just very slowly picking up eating utensils and going to the bowl, just like kind of wondering if anyone's looking at her and deciding whether she cares or not, and then just eating because she is so hungry. She doesn't care. She doesn't care at all. Is Angus in the room? Oh, no. He stayed in the uh, on the bed, asleep. I'll okay. get him a bowl. Okay. So. He's guarding our packs, quote unquote. Snoring. Cat snoring. Yep. Sir Anza informs me that you also, you were instrumental in recovering the head, the, the artifact, but also that you were seeking it out as well. May I ask any details you might have on this mysterious employer? Indeed. We do not have a great deal of details upon this mysterious employer. In fact, we know so little of it that we we, we thought that might perhaps be yourself. <laughs> uh, that is, would be mighty duplici- duplicitous of me, but that is, uh, that's not my way. I'm pretty straightforward when it really comes down to it, though I've spent a small amount of time in Kunin Forge, and I might see how you would come to that conclusion. The the facts about you are sparse. Please, do tell us more of yourself. Um, my family uh, comes from the south. Uh, we have lands there, holdings. They're not particularly vast. We've never been the favorite of the of the emperor, but we've 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 been around for a good long time. It's uh, strange the way things happen for the central people. For the we are expected to just grow the wheat and raise the the boars for the the kingdom and provide if we've got quarries or mines what minerals we can but some of us some of us care too much to do so little i have a talent with a blade as do my men we've trained against creatures like this any creatures that the order of wood or cragsmith expeditions would be willing to capture and provide it was something that my my mother was into the Lady uh, Nyland. And by when she says Lady in that sense, you get a capital L as in the equivalent of Lord. Mm-hmm. She taught us that the woods, while they are an important and valuable resource, they are also a dangerous enemy that has taken a great deal of land, not just from the Empire, that's a narrow thought, but they've taken that land from humanity. They've taken that history, the gone towns, the lost 
Druidic monasteries, all of these things are history that are lost to us forever that we can take back if we just have the courage, the will, and the skill to take it back. Reed's eyebrows furrow as that speech goes on, and a frown comes over her face. And she can't help but say, the forest has taken from us? You speak as if there was no forest when people arrived. How can you say that they have not taken simply what we have taken from them? They didn't start it. The records of my people, of my family, show that there was once a town, a a village, a city that rivals Mustan and Fallon size, maybe even rivals Kunin Forge. It is east, as far as I know, of Fallfallow Glade. That was once where people lived. And I don't know how big the forest was or what shape it had, but I know that that was once ours. Ours being all of us. Well, you're a green bark, aren't you? Yeah. Surprised to see you free, though that makes you, uh, impediment, right? Didn't know I was so famous. Well, when your whole gang is bottled up, people get, get to know the extras. I have expected you to have a gang of your own by now. They, uh, they respected you. Shimshackle, in particular, spoke nice of you. When you think you've lost your gang and it's your fault, uh, you don't really start a new one. I'm pretty surprised to hear they're still around. But you've decided to feed us and shelter us for tonight. And I get the feeling that that's not going to be a pretty conversation. So for one night, let's put that off. Reed is very clearly clenching her fists and restraining a great deal of anger. I can table that. Certainly. Your mysterious benefactor. Well, yes, the operative word on that is mysterious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isold un- uncomfortably downs the any any wine that's set in front of her. To my knowledge, there were only two people on promise that knew where this artifact was. I'm one of them, and Barker's the other. Well, I don't think the mysterious benefactor was Barker. He did seem pretty surprised when we showed up. Yeah. So there must be a third. Yeah, that's worth looking into. And that's... I don't know what your interests lie in. We are very curious about what use, what's, what purpose you have in seeking out these pieces. It's all based on knowledge. Knowledge. We'd love to understand the workings of the forest. Understand Either it. to coexist with it peacefully or to defeat it. We're... As far as I can tell, kind of agnostic on that particular point, but... And you are. Ah, yes, of course. Professor Isold Heisenberg of the University, Department of Tactical and Ethnographic Studies. You're friend of Tristan, yes? Ah, uh, yes, we've been acquainted. Several occasions. I've, I've only heard your name. I'm not familiar with your work. Uh, I, uh, I did not realize that you, uh... You uh, ventured this far north, or that deep into the woods. That must have been very trying for a university professor. I'm on sabbatical. And yes, it has been. Quite an eye-opening experience. Uh, We don't have many uh, university goods in town, but uh, I see that your your outfit looks much nicer than when I first saw it. That uh, is a a testament to your skills. Uh, Though it still looks like it's a little um, damaged. Uh, there are many good tradesmen in town, and if you give them my name, they will uh, they will happily see to uh, repairing your uh, your your clothing. Oh, this old thing! I was thinking of having it replaced anyway. 
but I will <laughs> take you up on that offer and drop your name with the merchants. If you're speaking of curiosity, how curious are you about the woods? Endlessly. Insofar as it gives an insight into the past, I am quite interested in the, uh, well, like you described, the origins of things and why exactly there was a human settlement there and what happened to it. Why did that civilization collapse? We've been curious about that, too. Here's what I know. Knowledge is an expensive thing, and some things that I know don't belong to me. And I respect the agreements I've made to keep certain facts in the dark. But I can tell you a lot if you're willing to listen and willing to make a bit of a promise. I can tell you some, but to tell you more than the sum I will tell you for free. I need to know that that artifact can be used, and I can make guarantees about its supervision and your capability to, to see it used. Or you can choose, because it is not a certain thing what will happen. You can opt to not be around. But I can tell you some, and then I'm going to ask that you transfer it to my possession to know more. I think that the start of this conversation is... A good place to start, and from there we'll see. Thank you once again for listening to The Crooked Thimble as we play Iron Immortals. We have new episodes every week, though our schedule has not been as regular as I would like. Seven Days a Servant, my novel set in the Iron Immortals world, is available on Inkshares. Head over there, order a copy, and recommend the page. Our music this week was composed by Sergei Cheremzinov, and you may find links to his work in the show notes. Please do share the podcast with whatever means you have available, and remember that the Crooked Thimble is a Patreon-funded company. If you want to hear more of these adventures, please head on over to www.patreon.com crookedthimble and support us. And as always, thank you. 